You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to episode 166 of Drinks with Tony with my guest, magician and author, Joshua J. Hey, new screenwriting classes have been added uh, for the winter quarter for UCLA Extension that I'm teaching, as well as information on personal coaching and developing developing for novels and screenplays, go to TonyDuchesne.com. That's TonyDuchesne.com for more information on upcoming classes in winter 2020, 2022. 2022. Yeah, that's how we say it. And also um, for personal coaching on novels and screenplays, that's TonyDuchesne.com. And now on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Joshua J, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Joshua J. He's the author of How Magicians Think, Misdirection, Deception, and Why Magic Matters. Joshua, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited. Yeah. What what got you what got you into magic? What was what was the first papa, I need to do that? Yeah, it's a that's pretty much exactly what I said. I was seven did years you old. Did you really? Yeah, I was seven years old and my dad did a trick for me and did not tell me how it was done. It was an amazing card trick. And so I went into my room, I tore up a deck of cards, I made charts, I threw cards against the wall, but I figured the trick out. I figured out how it worked and I went back to the family room and I said, okay, now you pick a card. And I did the same trick for my dad. And it was that circle of things that made me complete, I guess, to, to be silly about it. You know, I mean, first was being amazed by a trick, feeling like what we call a lay person, a muggle, right? Being amazed. And then the second- <laughs> I'm a muggle. Was, I'm always amazed. <laughs> I know. Right. But that's, that's the state you live in. But then I went and I reverse engineered the trick, which was a really fun aspect of it. And then uh, I, when I performed it, I got that special high you can only get by performing a magic trick. And it was great. What's interesting is it's almost like a puzzle. You, you saw the, you saw what was kind of like sleight of hand. And then you, you figured out the puzzle. Is, is that a good way to say it? That's a very good way to say it. I mean, you know, magic, and I hope that people, um, I hope that people see this in the book when they're reading how magicians think, that, that magic is the, an extremely complex art form. And there's psychology involved, there's science mm -hmm. involved, there's sleight of hand involved, there's illusionary techniques involved. There's so much going on that, you know, people have to stop thinking about magic tricks in terms of here's how it looks and here's how it's done. It doesn't just have one thing. People in the movies and stuff, it's like, oh, a trap door. Oh, his sleeves. It's never trap door. It's never sleeves. But it's never one thing. It's many, many layers of things coming together. And that's what makes it so fascinating. And frankly, why we, why you as, as muggles don't stand a chance. It's and it is it it blows my mind because I interviewed um, Rob Zabrecki a few years ago, and it, after reading his book, I realized I was like, magic is magic is storytelling, it's presentation, it's performance, 
It's um, it's I I just didn't understand how much storytelling and performance goes into making something grand. You know, it's it's the the importance of that just blows my mind. And I I never even really thought of that until I went to the Magic Castle. Can you get me in? I really want to get in. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a little easier at the moment because I think with pandemic, their numbers aren't as big. But normally, I mean, they're sold out weeks, months in advance. So it's yeah, a very yeah. difficult place. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, magic can be a form of storytelling. You know, one of the reasons that I wrote this book is that magic doesn't seem to have the standing that I think it deserves. You know, I point this out a lot of times to people that, you know, I'm, I'm speaking now on a 60 city book tour, um, crossing the country for four months. If you want to read a book on dance theory or music theory or acting or the history of actors, you find all those in the performance arts section or in the arts section of the bookstore. But my book and any other book on magic of which there might only be three or four in a bookstore at any one time is in the puzzles and game section absolute absurdity because it is performing art yeah i totally agree and why is that well because most people see magic as a game or a puzzle to be solved and what you pointed out and is so true is magic is a great way to self-express magic is a great way to tell a story magic is a great way to communicate your humanity. I mean, all of these things are possible. It's not to say every magician succeeds in doing that, but neither does every stand-up comic, neither does every great writer. But magic aspires to the same lofty goals as all the other performing arts. And yet here we are stuck in puzzles and games. When when you're um when you're putting a when you're putting a um magic trick together. Do you work on the trick the the and the, the um do you work on the trick first and then bring in the story arc of how you're going to present it or what what comes first in the um on your end? The great is, question. A, is yeah, it a, a great, great question? question? Oh dear yeah. lord. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, I'm always I'm looking sure for validation. I'm very relieved to know that you have asked a question that meets my high demands for quality of questions. Yes. I never know. Is that a is that a bad thing to say? Like that's a really good question. No, that's a great thing to say. I, I, I was I was happy I always about struggle that. with it. Um, I, I take I take compliments. I, I, my, I've been in therapy for years, and they're like, right. you have to take compliments, you know. And if you, sometimes you go, oh yeah, that was great. And you're like, no, it wasn't so great. So you're talking yourself down. But yeah. if you take a compliment and go, thank you, then it's acknowledging the compliment from the other person. So, um, how about veering? I, I, how about veering the interview that way? <laughs> So let's hear. Let's, we, we hear went, there let's go back to the great question. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, I want to veer. So, so I'm on stage, you know, every night for this book tour, and I just I hope I am not being condescending when I say that's a really great question. But you have to tell me if I am. And the other one, no, it, it wasn't. It, it it wasn't at all. I felt I felt I felt a warmness in my heart. Okay, good. And then the other one that I've been told is condescending, and I actually don't say this one, but I hear it a lot is um, when people like explain something and then they go, does that make sense to you? Apparently, if you say, does that make sense to you? It's like saying, are you smart enough to follow what I'm saying? And I always, when people say that, I never take it that way, but apparently that's a big faux pas that you're not supposed to say, does that make sense? I found out that this week 
And I say yeah. it all the time to my students. And oh, yeah. and I'm probably I, I didn't even read. I seriously read about this this week. It's like things you should ways you should change your linguistics. Yeah. And instead of saying, does that make sense? Say, do you have any questions? Mm-hmm. And that and that opens it up because I'm always saying, does that make sense? In an earnest way of let's open the conversation. Right. Or maybe it should be like, do you have any questions? That's probably the, the safest. But you could also say something like, am I explaining that? Am I explaining that uh, correctly? You know, something like that. So oh, you put it on yeah. yourself rather than like, is your intellect following what I'm saying? Instead, you're saying, you know, am I explaining that in a way that's, that's clear or not? It's that that's such a good one because I did I I don't know why where I read that or why I caught on to that this week and this week is the first time I went through my students' work and was do was giving them their notes for their uh, writing and yeah. I didn't put does that make sense at the end <laughs> yep I, I, I and usually I just kind of want some feedback and go am I steering you in the wrong direction I could be wrong you know right. it's it this this is all kind of open anyway. Well, so um, let's get back to we had, very we had a great question. We, we had a great question. Yes. So let me let me answer your excellent question that meets my high demands for questions. Oh, don't roll um, your you eyes asked, when you say excellent. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. You um you asked a great question about whether the story comes first or the material comes first. And the answer, of course, is like you can't really codify, at least I can't codify my approach, my creative approach. It happens different in every way. But for example, one of the most powerful things that I perform pieces that I've created is a is a piece that I do at the end of my show I did it last night where I tell the story of how my parents met and it's one of these Benjamin Button type stories where um, many things have to happen in exactly the the right way and coffee has to be too hot and a light has to change from yellow to red and a parking lot has to be too full which takes two extra minutes for my parents to physically bump into each other coming in and out of a restaurant and that's the whole reason that I exist. The reason that I'm a magician, the reason that I perform is because of little mundane things like coffee being too hot and a parking lot being too full so that they meet at this exact moment. And I had that story in my head. It was kind of like my bedtime story till I was a teenager. And I knew I wanted to tell it. And I was always sort of in the background looking for a trick that would metaphorically stand in for that story. And then I, I started messing with this idea of, of doing a trick where you shuffle a, a blue deck of cards and I shuffle a red deck of cards and they end up matching. Every single card as we deal through the deck matches. And I thought, that's a perfect combination. And so it's an example of where, you know, I had in my head the whole time, like, I want to tell this story. And then all of a sudden the right vehicle presents itself to tell that story and they come together. Sometimes it's, I got a great trick. Now I need a great story to go with it. Sometimes it's, I got a great story. I need a trick to go with it. But the best times I find are when the two just present themselves. Why isn't your book in the performing arts section? I'm still pissed about that. <laughs> uh, because You're telling me. Because this, I mean, when you say that, this reminds me of those storytelling series like The Moth right. and other things where people go up there and they tell stories. And most of them are crap. But boy, yep. if they were magicians, they would they would and they brought in that craft, I would be I would be a lot more hooked. Yep, I totally agree with you. What what do you what is your do you have any pre rituals before you um before you perform you know, on stage like what what's what's your game plan when you're uh, 
Yeah. When you got um, like uh, the you know ten minutes before stage time. It's a yeah. Um, I do. You were gonna I say that's one. a great question. I I, I demurred. I I pulled back. <laughs> I didn't want to I did, I'm sorry I made you aware of it. Cause... Now I'm, I'm so self-conscious. <laughs> but what's going to happen when I go, that's a mediocre question? You know, because no, you know, no, you're taught I... to pivot, right? You're, you're taught to right. go, I think the question you're really asking is, and then you answer the one you want to answer. Oh, I would love to hear that's a mediocre question. And then I would I would reply, I really want a mediocre answer. And if you could right. actually, oh, you'll you could actually you... make it bad, that would be hey, even look, better. <laughs> it can't get any worse. I think the second tour date on this book tour... I'm in a bookstore and somebody, the second or third question somebody asks, and I'm going, you know, they're asking about process and writing and magic and art. And like the third guy stands up and I say, yeah, go ahead. And he says, um, do you know where they keep the sugar for the coffee in the back? <laughs> like, oh, I, I don't know. But good question. Thank you. Um, yeah, now that's a condescending good question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> See, it's all so here's tonal. Here's the answer to your question. Um, I do a pre-show ritual where I have a, I used to have a really old soiled piece of paper that I had had for years and kept in my sweaty pocket as I performed all over the world. Now, since then we've had them printed up because in a sort of ritual, I give them out at my shows to any young aspiring magicians who are there. So this is my little pre-show ritual. I read three enumerated sentences to myself and i actually do this every time i perform the first one says tonight is part of the process and what i mean by that and that i know when i wrote that so many years ago is when i'm nervous it's because i tend to think of a show as like tonight's really important tonight has to be great so for example two nights ago i was on stage with teller here in las vegas where i am for the book tour and teller's my idol teller is a a living legend and he was going to be seeing my full show for the first time. And I was nervous because I, I sort of, we all tend to frame it in our minds as tonight's the night you have to be good. But as soon as you, you reframe it as, you know what, tonight is part of a huge continuum where you're doing your show every single night and you're just trying to make little tweaks here and there. And it's just part of the process. And tonight you're going to learn something, a little pause or a moment or a beat or standing stage left instead of stage right. And the show's going to be a little better, a little different than any other show. And it's part of a long process. And when I read that sentence, tonight is part of the process, I just remind myself, this is a big tour. This is a whole year. This is a big life. And that tonight is just one little cog in the machine. And then I don't feel so nervous. And the second thing is enjoy the show because it is so easy to forget when you're wrapped up in a million details and oh man those lights are so bright i'm not going to be able to see the audience and oh god we're starting 10 minutes late and they still want me to finish on time how am i going to shave minutes off my show and oh man the whole first row is all old people and i need people to stand up quickly on stage and what am i going to do but as soon as you you really remind yourself hey the show is going to sink or swim based on if you're having fun out there so have a good time you worked hard this is what you do it for That's my second reminder. And my third reminder was told to me by a friend who's a musician. And this is like one of these great music parables. And I'll share this with your listeners. Um, The story goes that it's backstage at Carnegie Hall right before they're about to begin. And the orchestra is warming up the instruments and the conductor comes backstage and says, okay guys, tonight we're gonna start with Beethoven's fifth. And a musician right in the first row goes, oh, 
Are you kidding me? That's the most obvious piece of music. Everybody out there's heard that before. We've played it a million times. Why can't you be daring and bold and pick something on a set list that is going to challenge the listeners? And the conductor says, come here for a second. And he pulls back the curtain and the audience is taking their seats. And he says, you see that really old lady on the far left of the second row? Yeah. Well, she's probably going to be hearing Beethoven's fifth for the very last time tonight. She may not ever hear it again live in concert. And, and the, right there, right in the middle, next to the, what looks like parents, do you see that little boy? He's going to be hearing Beethoven's fifth for the very first time tonight. You're not playing it for you. You're playing it for them. And so I always remember the third thing in that list is do it for the first and last time. And I have done my show so many hundreds of times, it's like rote for me. And I know some people who come to these shows have seen lots of magic before, but I'm doing my show for the person who's seeing magic for the very first time, or perhaps for the very last time. And I just find that really profound. And when I read those three things, and have a moment of stillness before I walk on stage, I'm telling you, those just align me and I'm I'm gonna give my best show. There's a lot of death in that. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot all of I, death in that. I, yeah, yeah, all I could, and, and, the, and the flip side of that is, this could be the last time I perform it. <laughs> yeah, well, one day it's gonna be true, right? Yeah. No, I, I like all of that though. The the. When you when you're not on tour, are you, how are you getting stage time? Do you do you do, are you doing stage time as much as possible? So, yeah. So that's one thing that's really um, great, and I'm thankful for in my life is you know, I live on the road. In normal non-pandemic times, I'm on the road 300 days a year, so I'm always getting stage time. I performed in New York. I had a show in New York called Six Impossible Things, and we ran for uh, 18 months. We did over 200 shows. So that was a very special sort of year. Typically, when I'm touring, I'm on stage every day or every other day. So, um, you know, the pandemic was really hard because it was the first time in recent times that I wasn't able to get any stage time. And, you know, you realize you miss it a lot. Yeah. So what So what do you do when you're in... Um pandemic i mean how do you keep yourself um fresh are are you, are you doing zoom shows are you kind of just are, are you did, still I kind of doing virtual shows yeah i did virtual shows for how a while, depressing was that anymore. though <laughs> you know what it's two ways to look at it it was very depressing especially for somebody like me like my kind of magic is all about the person on stage with me so so i didn't enjoy the limitations where you can't have anything signed, you can't borrow anything. I, I didn't love that. However, there was one of these moments, and it sounds cliche, but I mean it very seriously. There was, there was a moment in the pandemic, in the in the middle of all these virtual shows, where I realized that you know what, even though this is me at sort of rock bottom, like this show is just not anywhere near as good as my live show. The audience needs magic more now than ever like the audience was so hyped to be watching a magic show from their living room and seeing other faces and laughing together that it felt like i was doing really important work and that was like that was kind of a sea change moment for me and i was really happy about it but to answer your your first question you know 
you kind of have to just submit. You have to be like water, as Bruce Lee says, right? So, you know, when I, I was on a cruise ship performing in the middle of uh, the, in, near Australia, off the coast there, and had to come back. And I really thought I was coming home for what would be, you know, at the time, if you remember, the news was saying this could be a month. This could be two months. Right, right. We just got to get the curve. Remember, it right. was the curve. Right. We just need it. Well, everybody just thought if everybody quarantined for 14 days, the whole thing would die. Right. So I thought, all right, look, we'll clear my schedule for a month. It'll give me that chance to work on all the stuff that I, I've wanted to work on. And then I'll just hit it hard when I when I go back out. But then we sort of realized, like, this could be a year. This could be a year and a half. This could be longer. You have to submit. So what I did was I, I wrote a couple of projects that I've always wanted to be writing. I embraced the time off. You know, I never gave myself permission to really do anything other than magic. And I started doing all these other things. And it was a really wonderful, peaceful time. I mean, I can't say I'm, I'm miss those days, but they were important for me. So I'm okay with it. You sound so healthy. How did you get so mentally healthy? Are you in therapy? Um, I'm, I'm not in therapy. Maybe I should be. No, um, no, no. Whatever's working is working. Maybe I got to get out of therapy. <laughs> no, I, I think therapy's. I mean, I've gone to therapists, of course, but... Um, I guess that, that the reason I feel so good about everything is because I'm doing what I, I love and I'm supposed to be doing. You know, Teller said this on stage. He said, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I'm sitting next to him. I'm going, yeah, I think you pretty much are the luckiest guy in the world because you're fabulously rich and famous and you get to do what you love on a stage of 3,000 people. But then I realized, like, I'm equally lucky. I'm not famous like Teller. I don't have my own TV show. But I am doing exactly what I love to do every single night. I don't take the shows I don't want. I'm at audiences that want to be there, want to be watching magic. And I, I'm very lucky in that sense. So, you know, I guess this positivity is not an act. I don't turn it off when we get off this, this call. I, I really feel that way because I'm doing something I love. And I recognize that most of the people I perform for, they're doing a job that puts food on their table, but that they don't love. They're not doing something that makes them jump out of bed. I am so excited. You know, I woke up this morning to an offer to perform in France, which I'm booked for, so I have to turn it down. Sad times. But I woke up to an offer to go back to one of my favorite countries to perform uh, about the next book that we're working on, a, a very encouraging email about a big TV appearance I have coming out. I mean, it's fun to wake up and get emails about stuff that's happening and exciting and cool. And so how can you not be thrilled about that, you know? I agree. I was, I mean, right before we got on this, I was scheduling um, my interview a few weeks out from now with another writer that I had on the show 15 years ago. And I'm like, uh -huh. oh my God. And I didn't want to say anything because I got the book and I was just like, yes, let's schedule. And I was trying to be very middle. Right. Because um, I didn't know if the book was good or not. And I read half of it and I'm like, oh my God, this is great. And I sent Ooh. her another note and I was just like, this rocks so much. I can't wait to have you on again. I, I don't want to be, um, what do you call it? I hate like um, pretending like a book's good when it's not. So I just won't say yeah, anything. No, but, but oh man, it was good. And, I, and it just, and all my juices were just like, this is inspiring to me. So. And you can always tell, you know, you can always, I can always tell when I'm sitting across from somebody who is paying lip service and is like, you've written a great book. So tell us, why does magic matter? And I'm like, oh, you haven't read this book at all. Like, <laughs> you know, you read the title. <laughs> 
right. They're just like, you know, so it's called Deception, Why Magic Matters. Tell us why magic matters. Oh, you haven't read the book. That's what's happening here. But, you know, I get it. And, and here's the great thing that I think is really cool as I do, you know, eons and eons of press for this book over the next four months. I think that it's hot. I, I, if I'm being full honest, truth bomb here, when I have to do press for shows when I'm performing in town, it's a real drag because I'm there because I want to put butts in seats. And they're there because they want to see a little bit of free magic and, and then put butts in seats. But when it's a book, you know, nobody writes a book to, to get rich. We write a book because we have something to say. And it's such a pleasure. Like, you know, I, even when I have a precious day off and the publicist will call and say like, hey, can you do this podcast? And, if it's a podcast about talking about the book and the person's going to ask thoughtful questions the way you have, I am just so in for it. I'm so into talking about what it is that that I was trying to accomplish and do. And and it's, I think that your you know your podcast is is just situated in such a great spot because authors are going to want to sit and talk with you. Well, that I mean that's what just storytelling in general is what I live for. So that's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then talking to other writers. When, what were your dog days? When did you have to, did you have a nine to five that you had to do for a while and then bump it up to ma magician? How did that work? Yeah, no, I'm the, the, uh, the sort did of you make all bird. your money from the beginning as a magician? <laughs> yes. Oh, good for you. Oh my God. I got out of school. I mean, it wasn't all easy sailing. So I got out of uh, university and went, moved to New York city and I was working restaurant magic, which is, you know, typically the lowest end on the totem pole. You're basically working for tips, roving around restaurants, trying to build up a client base and hoping for somebody at the table between appetizers is going to go, let me have your business card and hire you for an actual show. And that's how you build up your book of business. And I was working three restaurants in New York City doing walk around magic. And that's how I started. And it was really hard. And then very soon after that, I got a book deal. And that book deal put me on TV and put me all over the country. And then I, I got some TV appearances and fooled Penn and Teller. I won this big magic competition, kind of like the Olympics of magic. And all these things started building to a critical mass to the point where I had to start missing the, the restaurant gigs and had to start skipping them. And then was so full with shows that I had to book other magicians. And it's just, it snowballed from there. But um no, it's all I've ever done, but I don't want it to sound like I, you know, got out of school and had a, an agent and was so busy. It, it was slow, you know. The well, and is that like a magician's way of busking? If you yeah. were thinking, I mean, so if you weren't doing restaurant magic, maybe you would be on the street busking. Yeah, similar. You know, but at the same time, that is still like you don't go straight to ba boom. I got a book, and we're gonna do a we're gonna do Carnegie Hall. Right. It's you're you were hustling and yeah. the hustle can bring you down where you're like that nine to five job sounds really good right now. So that never sounded too good to me. I always <laughs> liked what I did. But um, no, I know what you mean. And and it is it is a hustle. And I got to tell you, it's still a hustle. You know, it's a weird thing. If you have a bad year as a magician, you're going to have a worse next year because your shows are based on repeat business and, and momentum. And every time you do a good show, you got to hope you're going to get one or two shows out of it. And when you're not working or you're not doing good work, you're not going to get those shows out. So what really was sad to me and is still sad about the pandemic is that a lot of magicians lost their momentum 
and are having a hard time getting it back. You know, this book, in some ways, it was really tough to release it as we've come out of a pandemic. So I had to do some things virtually and I couldn't be in all the places. But the part that's really good is this is revving up the engine. I'm seeing people every night going, oh, we have a theater back in Millgrove, Pennsylvania. We want to book you. Oh, you know, I, I'm a producer on this TV show. Can you submit a video? You know, so it's really good in that respect. And it just feels so friggin' good to be out in the world doing shows every night. Congratulations, man. Thank you know, you. this is like a success story. I, I didn't even realize this is a this was going to be a success story. And I and it's it's inspire. I think it's inspiring because the, a magician is what you are at your soul. And when people find out what their soul, like what their purpose of their soul is and steer right into it, uh, except for child molesters. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but if you steer into it. Yeah, it's almost like you never have to work a day in your life because you're already doing what what you. It's yeah, I, I can't retire. People are like, "What are you going to do when you retire?" I'm like, "Retire what?" Yeah, I no, that's know. how I feel too. I don't want to. I'm not looking for an exit strategy from magic, and you know, I do feel very lucky. But let me make one thing clear before we we adjourn here, and that is, you know, I hope people won't think of my book, how magicians think, as like something for those who love magic or are fascinated by magic or are magicians. I, I hope it's clear because we didn't really go over this yet. In, right. I'm, I'm good at veer. I'm good at what I do here is I veer away from the book as much as possible to get to know the person. Yeah, <laughs> it gets no, a little, it gets a little confusing it. sometimes. <laughs> and I have enjoyed it, but I, I do want to make clear that, that my book, I knew that there's a very small segment of the population who really thinks they love magic. I think more people love magic than think they love magic, but um, this is a book for anybody who likes doing anything at a high level. It's about creativity. It's about process. It's about discovering how to push the boundaries of whatever it is you do. Magic is just the case study in this book. And, and so I hope that that comes across in our interview today and, and that people will check out the book, even if they aren't fascinated by Houdini. If you are, great. But if, even if you're not, there's so much there in this book that I think is valuable even if it just means pushing your own writing or your own running or your own whatever it is to the next level. And the only other thing that I, I would want to encourage readers, just because you run a great podcast, I'm going to subscribe and I can't wait to listen, um, is to check out my podcast, which is also called How Magicians Think. It's uh, on episode five now. It's part of a 12 episode series. And I'm really proud of it. And it's a very different format. It's not just um, interviews. It, there's, there's a lot of narrative going on in storytelling. And it's also... Uh, aspirational to whatever your interests and hobbies are. So those are my two little plugs. Well, th when what's interesting when you talk about um, the what, see, I, I see storytelling, I see screenwriting, I see novel writing. It's all magic because because yeah. even as writers, we breadcrumb things in. There is sleight of hand. Oh my God, that was the killer. Oh my God, that uh, that it's it's it's. It's also a puzzle, and with magic, there's a everything's a puzzle, and it's beautiful. And that's that's why yep. magic intrigues me now. So it's yeah, I'm I'm totally I'm totally in. Joshua, okay. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast, and thanks to everybody who listened in. I'm very grateful. This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital. Around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. It's so tight. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right.
beat Or spend some time and rock a rhyme I said it's not that easy It's tricky to rock around, to rock around That's right, on time is tricky How is it, baby? It's tricky, tricky, tricky It's tricky to rock around, rock around That's right, on time is tricky Tricky, tricky, tricky In New York, the people talking Try to make us rhyme They really hawk, but we just walk Joshua J. on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, How Magicians Think, Misdirection, Deception, and Why Magic Matters. Next week on the show, we have Kurt Baumeister. He'll be discussing his book, Pax Americana. You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCR LP Santa Cruz. And in holy crap news, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis announced their tour of the United States in March 2022. And I need a Nick Cave tour so bad, almost as much as I need the Swans and Melvins tour. And no, I'm not going to go see the Melvins open for ministry. That I can't do that. Dear Melvins, please do a local Los Angeles gig for us. Thank you. Buzzo, he's a huge fan of this show. I probably got that pushed through. Now, back to Nick Cave performing live. I'm so excited because not only is he touring, but his set list is different. Staggered Lee is not on the set list. Red Right Hand. So many other songs are not on the set list. If I have to hear Stagger Lee live one more time, I'll throw up in my shoe. But it's off the list. No more greatest hits, just new stuff. Nick, Warren, thank you. I can't wait for the shows. 
and we probably won't hear this song, and that's okay.
age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, new age, advanced ambient motor music machine, shift, no, and shade, advanced ambient motor music machine, shift, no, and shade, advanced ambient motor music machine, shift, no, and shade, advanced ambient motor music machine, shift, no, and shade, advanced ambient motor music machine, shift, no, and shade, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, you age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, you age, advanced ambient motor music machine, you know, you age, advanced ambient motor music machine. Das Lied schläft in der Maschine. 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 Das Lied schläft in der
Thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. Have a great weekend. And remember, reading fills our souls. Fill your soul well, amigos. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.